Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Retired 25 podcast. Today with us, we have a very, very special guest, someone who has a very deep, deep, deep understanding of the economy, how the financial markets work, and what that means for people like us, for entrepreneurs, and how us entrepreneurs, people that are making money, people that are working very hard to make that money, can take advantage of the financial markets, take advantage of the economy to make more money and so that we can retire at a younger age. Please welcome Matt Justice to the podcast. Matt, how are you? You know, uh, Solomon, I'm doing absolutely fantastic. I'm excited to be here on your uh, podcast, uh, Retired 25, I believe it is. And although I was not retired at 25, <laughs> I was just graduating from uh, law school back then. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners here today. And I hope they enjoy the conversation we're going to have. Thank you, Matt. And you know what? You weren't retired at 25, but I'm sure you've helped a lot of people retire at 25. And that's, really, that's the key, right? Pass down it, that knowledge. It is the key. It is the key. I mean, I mean, one thing about, and I, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but one thing about being an entrepreneur, it's, it's not about yourself necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's things that come along with that. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's about what you can help other people. And I think, uh, you know, something I was taught from, you know, my mentors growing up as I was learning how to be an entrepreneur is that when you build a company, when you build a product, when you build a service, whatever, whatever you're building, it can't be designed with the intention of, okay, this is going to make me X amount of money, or this is mm -hmm. about me. It's about identifying a problem in society and fixing that problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it comes to, you know, teaching other people how to do it the same way, I think that's just what mentors and, and, and people that came before us uh, have done for you know, uh, centuries upon centuries upon centuries since the dawn of mankind. I mean, knowledge is the thing that we pass down. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, as an entrepreneur that, that cares about society, that cares about, you know, uh, uh, bringing people up, you know, the, the rising tide theory, right? Uh, that the tide comes up, you bring everybody up. I think it's important as an entrepreneur to, to ensure that the future generations that come behind you, like yours, Solomon, uh, you, know, uh, you know, expand and excel on top of what, you know, my generation created. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, you know, the, the, the dream of most people. I mean, in America, you know, uh, I met you in, in, in Miami a few years ago in America, you know, we have this thing called the American dream, right? Yeah. And uh, the American dream is, is, is kind of self-defined to a certain extent, but the way I define it is every generation surpasses the economic value of the previous generation, which means we all live better, fuller, happier lives. And yeah. we don't worry about our kids. It's not necessarily, you know, that, that bowler point we see, the two-car garage, white picket fence, yeah. two and a half kids, you know, those types of things. That's, that's just what people put it as. But it really is defined economically. And for you to, to, for you to achieve that and for society to achieve that, you can't just have that go to school mentality, go to school, get a job. You got to have the entrepreneurs out there in the world, the, will, the people that are willing to take on the risk, the people that are willing to put their neck out there to, to sometimes get cut off, especially in the social media environment, mm -hmm. um, to get out there and build the companies, build, uh, build product, build services, and then to pass down not just the, the company and the, and the revenue and all that to the future generations. No, not in any capacity. Pass down that knowledge so that future generations can build upon that and we can expand our horizons. We can mm -hmm. expand te uh, technologically. And it's just absolutely a beautiful thing when, 
you know, when you're, when you're in the mud and you're just starving it, it can be frustrating, right? Oh, it can, yeah. You can get to the point where you're, you know, I, I, like I've long told the story to people that I no longer keep my golf clubs in my office because I just break shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. You know, it keeps, I keep a rubber ball that you just squeeze. It. <laughs> it's frustrating at times and you got to work through the mud and, and crawl through the fire. But once you get past that stage and, and you start to see success in your own businesses, it really is about two things, expanding your business and how many people can you help along the way. And that's what it truly is to be an entrepreneur. And one thing that saddens me in society today is, you know, with, with, with the rise of neo-capitalism and trickle-down economics that uh, these generations that are coming up, like my kids' generation, Solomon, they have a certain, you know, negative affiliation with the word entrepreneur. It's become a negative term to a certain extent because a lot of people, in my opinion, ignorant, but a lot of people see that and they automatically assume that entrepreneurs are just these, you know, greedy little capitalists that just mm -hmm. take everything and don't give anything back. And they yeah. associate it with, you know, Wall Street getting their big time $100 million bonuses and corporations working in an unfair tax and economic system. But that's not what small business creation really is about. And that's what being an entrepreneur is. It's about small business creation, building your business, building something that benefits society as a whole, and then bringing up other people to teach them how to do the exact same thing. Yeah. No, you hit it. That's exactly right. Now, that's, that's interesting, though, that you said, you know, people have that negative connotation with entrepreneur. Because I was actually just talking with one of our my real estate mentors and friends, and, you know, he said that he's not an entrepreneur but he's entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. you know, that he, he doesn't feel like he's an entrepreneur because a lot of times an entrepreneur, you know, that, that word, exactly how you said, it's about just the bottom line, you know, it doesn't matter who's in my way. I need that bottom line. I need my daughters. But, and, 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 you know, I, I, I get what your, your real estate mentor is saying. 100%. I understand yeah. it because, you know, Solomon, I've, I've traveled the world. You know, I've been to almost every state of the union. I've taught people around the world, Hong Kong, Mumbai, Thailand, Philippines, uh, Malaysia, Singapore, all, all over the world, right? I understand that negative connotation with the word entrepreneur, the entrepreneur. I understand it. But if we give in to that ignorance, we're going to have to fight generations just to get it back, right? We have to teach people what being an entrepreneur really is about right? It's not, it's, it's not associated with Wall Street. It's not associated with, you know, what, what, uh, you know, corporations do at the top end of the marketplace. I'll be the first one to, to, to admit, I mean, you've heard me on my soapboxes before, you know, <laughs> railing against Wall oh, yeah. Street, railing yeah. against monopolies, railing against neo-capitalism. I won't even but, say 2007 on here. That's going to trigger 2020 responses. <laughs> no, but but I, I take great pride in being an entrepreneur. I take great pride in, in, in what I have done from a business perspective. So I understand, you know, the shifting of the language, but I feel like as an entrepreneur, we have a responsibility to teach those individuals who see that entrepreneurialism as a negativity to teach them what it truly is about. Even in America today, 
Okay, even in America today, you know, the, the melting pot of everybody pointing to the negativity of capitalism is America today. But even in America today, 54% of jobs in America are small business creation. 54% of jobs are people like you and I just sitting down at some point in our life saying, you know what, wouldn't it be great if we, if, if we, if we had this or did this or what, this problem in society, what if we created something to fix that? So, so I take great pride in being an entrepreneur and I also take and I also feel there's a responsibility to ensure that the younger generations understand that the problems with capitalism today is not what capitalism was created for it's not what Adam Smith's vision and wealth of nations was back when he wrote the birth of capitalism in 1787 which also was coincided with the birth of the the, the United States so it, we got to get back to who our core principles are as a society and that is small business creation teaching generations to build business, to be an entrepreneur, instead of that, just that traditional model of, you know, and I've seen it over and over and over again around the world, you know, from the time they're born, three, four, five years old, we're gonna send you to kindergarten, then we're gonna send you to grade school, then we're gonna send you to high school, then we're gonna send you to college, learn how to be a worker bee, right? Learn how to be a worker bee. So it's not shocking to me that this rise of anti-capitalism we've seen around the world and some some of it understandably so solomon i will be the first to rail on the negativities of capitalism mm -hmm. but it, it it's not shocking to also see that as as capitalism has created an imbalance in money supply and income inequality and wealth inequality that's not the original version of capitalism capitalism is small business creation uh, learning how to be an entrepreneur creating jobs for society creating products that benefit society and then teaching people those younger generations which is a very difficult thing right now solomon mm. when you are so ingrained in your life that you need to go to school go to school get a job so that you can have the security of that job how's that working out now that we're going through a worldwide pandemic where we're seeing everybody get laid off right and we're all quarantined and all that no learn the skill set of being an entrepreneur and you don't have to be tied to the economic cycle you don't have to be tied to the negativity of the capitalist regimes that we see from a trickle-down economic perspective we need to teach those younger generations not how to be that analytical a to z type mentality but how to problem solve critical think building businesses personal finance these are some of the basic tenets of, of financial education that these generations that are coming up just don't have access to because we don't teach it anywhere if you were talking to someone who's you know 17 18 and they're deciding whether to pick up a small job maybe go mlm maybe you know some car dealership whatever some kind of small hustle yeah, get, get, uh, amazon or going to you know a four-year what would you what, how would you talk to that person what would you tell uh, them? you know solomon that's that's a great question because i'm kind of faced with that right now in my own personal <laughs> life you know i have a i have a 22 year old daughter you know i was talking to a good friend of mine uh, just yesterday and uh, we haven't spoken in about 10 years and we're catching each other up on you know uh, our families and all of a sudden i'm like oh my goodness i have a 22 year old an 18 year old a 17 year old and an 11 year old they were just uh, this life, big yesterday <laughs> oh my goodness life happens fast <laughs> You know, I, I have raised my family, me and my wife, we have raised our kids to be critical thinkers, to think outside the box that, you know, and sometimes like when they get a C in school, I don't, I don't, I don't freak out. I don't care. It's, 
you know, it's school. Like I was a terrible student in school. <laughs> like you're going to find it when you find it. But I've tried to raise my kids to, to, to be critical thinkers, to, to think outside the box. And, you know, as they're getting to that age where they're graduating high school and they're thinking about, okay, do I go to college? Do I not? I just always tell them this. I, I've never once regretted my traditional education. I, I never have. I, you know, I, I went to undergrad four years. I went to, I did everything that you were supposed to do. I did all the internships, U.S. Congress, U.S. Uh, Utah State Legislature, the Women's Shelter Group out of Salt Lake City, Utah. I went to law school. I graduated law school. I spent seven years of my life and about $130,000 in debt to learn how to be a lawyer. And the one thing that I think at the end of all of that, Solomon, that I was, that I learned more than anything is that I didn't want to be a lawyer. And I, <laughs> I, I really wish I would have learned that seven years previous and saved the $130,000, right? But I've never regretted it because mm. for a few, a few reasons, when you go to college, that's kind of the first time you're, you're getting out there in the real world and you're learning how to be a human being and deal with other people and you become politically active. And, you know, even though you're the, some of the political activities I did when I was 22 are, I, I, I probably would not do a 42, uh -huh. but you, you learn how to just be engaged in society. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. You also learn certain skill sets that are important and also, you know, right or wrong, right or wrong society does value those traditional education routes. Yeah. And that law school degree, even though I never became a lawyer, I never intended to become a lawyer after my first year in law school, um, that degree opened up doors for me that probably would not have been opened up if I didn't have the quote unquote JD degree after my title. And yeah. so I've never regretted it, but I also didn't need it. Right. And so the, the conversation I have with my kids, like I, I, I literally was talking to my son about this the other day. I said, Tanya, listen, you can go to school or you can learn how to be an entrepreneur. You can do both. It doesn't matter, but you got to pick something. Yeah. You got to pick something. You got to, you got to constantly move forward, right? You got to constantly move forward. And so whether he does or doesn't really doesn't matter to me. What matters to me. And when I said to him, Solomon, I said, Tanya, I spent seven years of my life in college, seven years, which on the, I'm an analytical person, Solomon. So I said to him, that represents about 10% of my life, about 10% of my life. I purely learned how to work for other people. Mm -hmm. Right. And even though in the, in my heart of hearts, I was born and raised as an entrepreneur. That's what i learned how to do is A to Z analytical step-by-step -step approaches to problem solving. Mm -hmm. And, and so I said, you can do that. Right. But Sometimes, even though I don't regret going to school and I don't regret the seven years I spent there, um, and I, I cherish some of those friendships and those relationships I built in that environment, um, I, I sometimes wonder, <coughs> and this is why I tell my son, I sometimes wonder that if at 19, 20 years old, I would have just fully embraced who I was in my heart and who I was in my heart was an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a business owner. And if I fully would have spent that exact same seven years and that exact same $130,000, would I have been better off, right? Everybody can go point to the, to the past and say, we had this fork in the road. We took A or we took B. Yeah. But the reality is I do believe, even though I don't regret going to school, 
I do believe I would have had a massive leg up on the competition, a massive leg up in my own education as an entrepreneur if I would have spent that seven years just learning how to build a business, whether that was, you know, like, uh, like an ML, MM, an LLM, right? Uh, something like that. Whatever the case might be, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Going out there and going through the hard knocks of learning how to be an entrepreneur, I would have been much, much, much better off when I was 30, 35, and now 42 than if I ever would have went to law school, went into the debt. So I said to my son, I said, the choice is yours. I'm going to support you one way or the other. Whether he goes to school or whether he does not go to school is not the equation that I'm going to point to, whether I love and respect and <laughs> cherish my son. Yeah. But I, I do hope that he just picks something and moves towards that. Yeah. Now, very similar to my own journey, Solomon. Um, I think he eventually becomes an entrepreneur and, and does all that and what, whatever type of small business environment he chooses to be in, I don't know. But I do believe he's going to do that because, you know, it, you know I, I was talking to my brother about this, who's my, my partner in, in many of my businesses. You know Tim very well. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was talking to him just yesterday about this. And, and basically, he's like, you know, Matt, even though you went to school for that seven years and did all that jazz, you were an entrepreneur from the time you were born. Like uh, for the time we were born. And I said to him, I said, yeah, but I'm not unique in that, right? I, I, I'm not. I believe that every single one of us, regardless of age, regardless of demographic, regardless of race, religion, creed, regardless of sexuality or whatever the case might be, I believe we're all created to be entrepreneurs. I think we're all embedded with that creative mentality, right? Um, I go back to uh, a famous quote, Solomon, that, oh, oh, who was it who said it? It was, it was a Mark Twain. Um, I, I'm thinking, it was Albert Einstein, actually. He said, logic will get you from A to B. And when he says logic will get you from A to B, I really take that as that analytical step-by-step -step approach that traditional education takes you to be that worker, you know, have the security of a salary or an income. Security's in the you know, eye of the beholder, but that's what I think he was meaning there. But imagination will take you everywhere. We are so creative, Solomon. We have so much imagination. I mean, I was watching my, t my 11 year old just do things that she just does. And I'm thinking, just so, just so much imagination. But yet we get into those school systems and we strip that imagination from individuals and we teach them to simply be workers. It's a systematic problem in that. But, when, but we are born as creators and we are socialized to be workers. So mm -hmm. I don't think I'm unique at all. I think I'm the exact same way that you are and that everybody else is. We're born to be creators. We are trained how to be workers. But in our heart of hearts, we are entrepreneurs. And we got to figure that out because when you go that traditional route, you do lose some of that creativity. You yeah. don't have the creativity to come and go as you choose or to create whatever product line you want or spend how much money you want on marketing or whatever the case might be. You are told when to show up at your job. You're told when to take a break at your job. You're told when to go home at your job. In your entire life, you're told what to do and when to do that. Mm -hmm. But as an entrepreneur, you have none of that structure. You have the responsibility to show up and do your damn job. But that is who we were born as. And I don't care who you are, from wherever you are. No, that's, I agree with that 100%. Because if you look at a little kid, you know, you throw them any kind of problem, they'll figure out the most creative way to get to fix it. Absolutely. You know, you know I, I know I experienced it when I was in, in elementary school. I don't think there was a summer that went by where they didn't send me a packet of probably like this thick of how to fix my writing, how to fix my hand, yeah. like my penmanship, 
And every time I, I never did it. <laughs> to this day, I suck at writing. Like, oh. if you see my, my scribbles. Well, then you have something in common with my 11-year-old because she's not <laughs> right now. She's not doing it, right? Yeah. Literally, something. she came into the last <laughs> and she's like, hey, Dad, can you help me with this? I'm like, oh, absolutely, honey. Let me help you with that. And we sat down, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through it. I'm like, I can't do that. She's in fifth grade. I'm like, I can't do that. The only thing I could figure out was the creative problems. <laughs> like, literally, the creative. Like, yeah, I could figure out that story problem because I could wrap my, my mind around it. But, you know, she hasn't done her packet either there. Yeah. Uh, so don't tell her teacher. We're, we're, we're lying to her right now. No, don't worry. I'll tell your teacher. The teacher's going to be going to be looking at this. Um, well, but, um, Matt, your businesses, I know that you've been entrepreneur for, you know, 10 plus years now. What are, what are your businesses right now? What is it that you're focused in right now? You know, when I, when I got done with law school, I had the fortunate opportunity to sit in a class and learn how to trade. And, uh, you know, I, like, I think a lot of people in the world, especially over the last couple months, as we've seen a lot of people, you know, kind of be quarantined, stay at home. There's been tremendous interest in investing and trading as, as people now have time on their hands. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I was 27 years old, I graduated when I was 25. But when I was 27 years old, I had the fortunate opportunity to meet a few individuals who were investors, traders. And even though I was not raised in that environment, Solomon, I mean, I was raised in coal mining country, blue collar, the entire town. I, I was born and raised in a town of 2,000 people. And the entire town either worked for the power plant, the coal mine, or serviced the power plant or the coal mine. And so that, that I wasn't born and raised that way, but, but I always had this, this desire to, to, to invest and, and learn how to trade because my father was, he was a coal miner when I was, when I was two years old. Um, his father died uh, uh, from black lung that he got in the coal mine. And when my father's father died, he quit the mine and he started a construction company. He first started a wood, wood cutting company, then some other company, then another company, then another company. They all failed, they all went bankrupt. Uh, but the one I grew up in was was a construction resident, uh, real estate company, and I grew up doing, not knowing it at the time, I grew up doing whole, like wholesales and rehab projects and spec homes, and you know, so so my father, I remember my father on that job site because these are my memories of when I was a kid. It was either sports or conversations I would have on the job site with my father. And my father would talk to us, go to school, go to school, get out of this place, get out of Emory County, Utah. There is nothing for you. And the best way, way to get out of this place and to make something of yourself is to go to school, go to school, go to school. And so that's what we all did. Not one justice, my father had seven children, not one justice in the lineage of our history when we uh, migrated to this country in, in 1850, we fled uh, uh, economic persecution out of, out of uh, the UK, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. So, so I, I, my generations are a bunch of mutts from, from the UK uh, area. But when we came here, we were coal miners in 1850 in Kentucky. We came out in the early 20th century. We were coal miners in Utah in the early 20th century. And my family was one of those families that kind of established, you know, uh, Emory County, Utah, which is a coal mining you know, country. Mm -hmm. And so everybody in Emory County is born and raised to go to the mine or the power plant. Good paying jobs, really good paying jobs, especially when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old and you don't have any concept of money and now you're all of a sudden, you have no wife, no kids, no debt, and all of a sudden you have $42,000 of salary a year. Man, let me go get that big truck and those toys and all that jazz, right? It's very enticing. But my father said, go to school, go to school. So we went to school. Every one of his children have higher degrees, whether doctor degrees, law degrees, master degrees. But the reality is, 
almost none of us actually work in what we went to school to become. My, my brother has a doctor in political science. He's a trader. My other brother has, a, has I don't even know what Tim's degree is in, like some <laughs> random stuff. But don't say sociology, man. I right? sociology. Right? <laughs> exactly. But, but, we're all, but what my father really taught us, and, and one thing, I don't even think he understands the gravity of the decision he made in 1979 when he quit the mine. What, what my father really taught us how to do is be an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. those are what we did. Even though in his words, go to school, go to school, go to school, we showed up on that job site every single day, building houses, rehabbing homes, being an entrepreneur and watching my father struggle in his life financially as he was starting out his life and not giving up, you know, mm -hmm. having a, his first real estate company go $60,000 in the hole and have to declare bankruptcy. Uh, having his, his, his wood business go out of business, numerous other businesses go out of business, but he kept with it. He stuck with it and he finally figured it out. Right. And that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur. Not everything's going to be rosy. It's going to yeah. be very, very difficult. It's not easy to step outside those traditional norms and say, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something that not everybody in my life is going to support but you got to have the belief in yourself above all things. And so what my father really taught us was how to be an entrepreneur and growing up in that. So when I graduated law school, instead of becoming a lawyer, I actually went back home and took over the, the real estate business and started, you know, expanding that business. And then when I was 27 and I was sitting down in, uh, in uh, meeting these individuals who were traders and whatnot, I mean, it just made so much sense to me. Like they were talking to me about, yeah, you do this in real estate, but we do something fairly similar in the financial world. I'm like, oh, I've never even, I've never even heard of that. I, I, what is a call option? We, what, what, what's a put option? I don't, I don't, I don't know what buying a stock represents. I've never done that. What are you talking about? Right. Um, but I, I had that itch to be, you know, to, to, to be an entrepreneur and entrepreneurs do not just settle on one aspect. I mean, look at some of the greatest entrepreneurs of all time, right? You take a, take a look at, at Jeff Bezos right now. Jeff Bezos starts Amazon years and years, decades ago. It's an online book company. Yeah. It's an online book company. That's not what Amazon is today. Oh, no. That's not what Google is today. That's not what Apple is today. That's not what Microsoft is today. They constantly reinvent themselves to fit the ever-changing underlying conditions in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. What works, what doesn't work? Why does Amazon become this juggernaut company? Why does Jeff Bezos become one of the best CEOs in the world? Why does Elon Musk have such a, a massive following, but we don't, don't care about GM and Ford and, and, and mm -hmm. Toyota and Ferrari and all these other car manufacturers? Yeah. It's that why behind them. They constantly evolve. They constantly push the agenda. They constantly push people outside their comfort zone, right? And so as an entrepreneur, you know, when I was taking over the real estate business, I was like, yeah, I, I love getting my hands dirty. I, 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 and I still do so. And I still mm -hmm. love getting my hands dirty. But at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, you got to look for opportunities in every field. And when I sat down talking to these individuals who were veteran traders and talking to me, how you can take that same amount of capital you're working in the real estate market, but it can go this much further in the financial world. I mean, that really kind of tickled my greed, to be honest with you. <laughs> at first, it, it did. Like, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get rich quick. This is amazing. I'm not going to be retired by, you know, I'm going to be retired like within six days from now. Right. <laughs> right? Okay. I, I learned the hard way. That's not how it works. <laughs> but, but I did get the interest in it. And so at 27, 
you know, I, I, I quit the real estate side of the, uh, of the business and I focused on the financial side of the business. And I just made a decision when I was 27 that I was gonna take this as far as I could. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And even though that was one of the best decisions I've personally ever made, because it really is the starting point of, of me becoming that entrepreneur, it, it was also a decision that was widely, widely criticized within the inner circles of my family, my friends. None of them understood what I was doing. All of them thought I was losing my mind. All of them called me crazy. All of them were begging me, begging me to go back to being a lawyer, to have the security. I remember my wife screaming at me one time, being like, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> but think about it, Solomon. I'm telling people when I'm 27 years old that I am not going to become an attorney. I'm not going to take over the real estate business and I'm going to go learn how to be a trader. I, yeah, I, 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 I understand why they would criticize me, but those same people today are very happy I made that decision. You got to trust your instinct. You got to trust your gut. You got to take on the risk. You got to be, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. We're risk adverse. We always control risk, but you got to accept that as part of the equation. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really happy I made that decision. And so are many, many other people. Yeah. And I know right now, I feel like a lot of people, you know, this pandemic really pushed a lot of people over the edge yeah. to, you know, start a little online hustle from their home. I know Etsy shops are really blown up you know, just during this time. So I think a lot of people are starting to finally, you know, they trust themselves. They got that little gut feeling. They said, all right, let me do there's this. A, there's an itch, <laughs> right? There's to. an itch right now. Yeah. And, and, and we're seeing it across the board in, in many industries, Amazon, small business sellers, uh, my wife is starting a soap business, Solomon. I, I love the fact she's now embracing entrepreneurial. <laughs> I just absolutely love it. But yeah. and, and you know where she's going to look to sell that Etsy. So yeah. you know it, it, the, the ability to become a small business owner today is greatly enhanced, given the fact that we have all these online you know uh, companies that we can sell through, right? Yeah. That we can promote through social media has been a bane of society, but it's also been beneficial to me in many uh, many aspects as well. And so there is an inch there. There is an inch. But does that last is the question. Does that itch and people scratching that itch, do they have the, inter- the internal fortitude to withstand anything negative that's going to come at them? Because they're creating Solomon a small business mm-hmm. in an environment that is the worst economic environment we've seen in the last hundred years. Right. And so and so do they have the ability to overcome the negativity that's going to happen to them? And, and the reason I say that is I'm seeing a lot in trading right now, Solomon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, we've seen the rise of the retail traders over the last two months. We've seen accounts, a record, record amount of accounts being opened up at Robinhood and other type of uh, brokerages like Robinhood. We're, I believe latest count was in the last four months. We've seen 8 million new accounts at Robinhood. Wow. We've seen millions of accounts at TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, Scott Trade. And a lot of this is the younger generations basically that were just sitting around not doing anything because they no, no longer had a service job. They were fur- furloughed or laid off or, mm-hmm. or quit you know, out of, out of the, the, the concern about the pandemic. Now they're getting into an environment where the market was just going up, 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 up after the Fed did what the Fed did with their monetary policy and then just historic fiscal, mm-hmm. fiscal policy coming out of the U.S. government as well. But now in the last two days, Solomon, the market is just getting its face kicked in. Do those new traders, I was literally talking about this on our halftime report today. Yeah. Do those new traders have the internal fortitude to withstand taking a loss because they are getting their ass 
handed to them today, just yeah. getting just destroyed. They've never, they've never taken the loss since they started trading because the market just went up, 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 up. Mm -hmm. So can they withstand that? That's a question I truly do have for those younger generations that have never had to deal with loss before, right? And mm -hmm. now they're, because they grew up in an environment in the last 12 years, Solomon, your generation, right? Yeah. Grew up in an environment in the last 12 years where they haven't had an economic recession. They haven't had a massive downturn in real estate or a massive downturn in, in, in the stock market. Yeah. And now they're starting to go through that. Do they have the ability to, to come through that on the other end better, bigger, badder, and better? My generation, we went through the dot-com. Seven years later, we went through the subprime. We were built for this stuff. <laughs> I mean, literally, we were built for this stuff. Yeah. Your generation has not had to deal with that negativity. Yeah. The labor market's been under 4% unemployment for the last you know, eight years. If you wanted a job, here's a job. Yeah. That's what it was. If you wanted to make money in the stock market, everything goes up. If you wanted to make money in real estate, well, everything goes up. Nothing ever goes down. Now you're going through an environment where that is not the case. Mm -hmm. So does your generation, and, and I'm hopeful that they do. I have concerns, mm -hmm. but I'm hopeful they take this as a lesson and learn. Because as we come through this volatility, Solomon, it, whether it's the, you know, the labor market getting demolished over the last three months, whether it's you know, GDP in America contracting 6.8% in 2020, or you know, the rest of the world you know, economically burning down right now. But I do believe that we are gonna have one of the greatest opportunities, mm -hmm. the, one of the greatest opportunities as investors in real estate, small business creation, or as investors in the stock market in a generational transfership of wealth coming out of this environment. And if you can withstand the volatility of this moment in time, okay, we always have a tendency to look at the moments we're going through right now as historically just unprecedented. Nobody's ever had to deal with this, but let me be the bearer of bad news. Yes, other generations have. We've yeah. had to go through this, right? There's always going to be downturns in the economy. It's called the market cycle for a reason. But if these younger generations who are finding the thirst for, for because quite frankly, they're probably pissed off. Solomon, it's not my generation that's getting laid off right now. Yeah. That's not my generation. It is the baby boomer generation, which are high earning, uh, earnings, or it is your generation, which are cheap labor, right? Yeah. Service-based jobs, the gig economy to a certain extent. Do they have the internal fortitude and the stomach to withstand this moment in time, because if you can get through this moment in time, you, because not everybody's going to Solomon, but if you can get through this moment in time, it's that generation that's gonna excel in the next 10 years. And I see that as a very, very, very good thing for the people that focus on, you know, learning from mistakes, learning from, 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 from what's going on from a geopolitical situation, economic perspective, political perspective, and then focusing on where we wanna be 10 years from now. It, one of the biggest mistakes for new traders, new real estate investors, or small business owners is they always put the short term in front of the long term. They want short term gratification because that's what they get in a job. They show up at the job, they get paid. Short term gratification. As an entrepreneur, that's not how it works. You got to bust your ass. I, I, I've heard you say this word like four or five times hustle. I love that word. You have to have hustle. 
right? The same capacity entrepreneurs get a bad name, get bad rap. Hustle has a bad, no, you gotta have hustle out there. You gotta bust your ass. You gotta be creative out there. You gotta withstand some of the negativity that's coming at us because coming out of this environment, you're gonna have a generational transfership of wealth where the people who do not overcome this short-term negativity, they're gonna bitch and moan for the next 10 years about how the rich got richer and the poor got poor. And you know what? They're right. The rich are going to get richer. The poor are going to get poor. But why? Why? It's not just economic system that is completely created against them. It's that entrepreneurs take on action. They take on risk where consumers are not willing to do that. And by taking on the risk, by overcoming those challenges, they have a pot of gold at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So in, 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 in my opinion, we're going to have a great opportunity. And, and, and I hope and I'm gonna do whatever I can to help those generations realize what is going on right now so that they can focus on 10 years from now. Because you know what, when I first started trading, I had lots of ups and downs, Solomon. Lots of ups and downs. For years, I had lots of ups and downs. And you're gonna have ups and downs in trading. There's no doubt about that, the same way in every market. But I always stuck with it. I always stuck with it. I always stuck with it. Because I'm willing to take on risk, but I'm only willing to take on calculated risk. Mm -hmm. no, it's, it's, I mean. You're sharing so much knowledge with it right now. And I'm so grateful for it, Matt. Um, but you know, you talked about you know retail traders, and that's actually something I really want to talk to you about. Yeah. You know, as as a financial coach, financial mentor, someone whose business is based around teaching financial um, mm -hmm. education, how to trade, how to, you know, what money really is, what the economy is. How do you feel about Robin Hood and those retail traders? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, as 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 somebody, my kids always tell me, I'm triggered. Um, I'm triggered <laughs> right now. Robin, it's a trigger word for me right now. You know, I I, I have mixed feelings about it. To be mm -hmm. perfectly honest, um, as an educator, I love the fact that younger generations are getting interested in the financial world. Um, Robin Hood is not the way I would personally go about that. I do not consider Robin Hood a legitimate broker. Um, but I do love the fact that younger generations are getting extremely interested in investing, mm -hmm. right? So I love it. But I also think they're making a big time mistake, okay? There is a herd mentality at Robinhood right now mm -hmm. where basically these, these, these traders at Robinhood, what are they buying, Solomon? They're buying penny stocks yeah. with no fundamental value, mm -hmm. no intrinsic value. They're buying bankrupt companies like Chesapeake Energy, like, uh, like Hertz. These are chapter 11 bankrupt companies that are literally most likely gonna go to zero, Solomon. Yeah. They're buying high flying growth stocks with terrible valuation. Mm -hmm. And that herd mentality can create something extremely damaging for them long-term. Because when that herd mentality comes in, they make lots of money. They do in the short term. They'll turn 5,000 into 15,000. They'll think it's that easy. Yeah. But then days like today happened and they're left holding the bag and they don't know what to do with it because they're over leveraged, over margined, and they just got rocked, right? Mm -hmm. It took them three weeks to make money. It took them one day to give it back, yeah. right? That's a learning. That's a learning moment for these individuals. I, I'm afraid that they won't learn that, right? So, I, I, like I said, I have mixed emotions because most people who are going to Robinhood are not traders. They're people that just want to go run with the run with the herd, right? They're not assessing risk. They're not assessing position size. 
They're not assessing fat evaluation. They're literally calling Warren Buffett an idiot. Like literally the greatest investor of all time. They're saying, idiot, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Why are you dumping airlines? Airlines are up 80% in the last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a difference between trading and investing. Warren Buffett, looking at the economic situation, looking at the fundamental situation says, I did for the very reason why I bought the stock is not the very reason I should hold the stock. Mm -hmm. He got out, right? Robinhood traders criticize that. Why would you get out? Just buy, buy, buy. Nothing ever goes down. Buy more, buy more. The only reason you're not rich is you're not hitting the buy button fast enough, right? <laughs> and that's the entire mentality. If, if that generation would, instead of, they're, they're putting the cart before the horse here, Solomon. Mm -hmm. Instead of focusing on, you know, taking action, right? Without knowledge, they should put knowledge in front of application. Yeah. They should put knowledge in front of application because they're gonna pay their tuition to the market and they're gonna pay it far more than what it would take to, to learn how to do this, mm -hmm. right? And so what I just believe in is I believe you have to put education before application and that generation right now is just not doing it. You know, Solomon, I know you do it. I know you, you try to get, you know, the people around you to do it and your sister does it and you guys, yes. you guys are doing it right, right? You guys, but I'm talking from a generational perspective. So if yeah. you're in that generation, I'm not specifically talking about you. Stop being a narcissist, right? Yeah. I, I'm talking about it as a generational yeah. situation. And, and the people, they're going to learn from that. They're yeah. going to learn from that one way or the other. They're going to learn from that. I hope what they learn is that, you know what? You probably shouldn't over leverage yourself. You probably shouldn't be buying penny stocks. You probably shouldn't try to front run money when you only have a $2,000 account. And by, by, for the love of God, do not, do not criticize the Oracle. That is just bad karma. I, I mean, literally, bad karma. It, it's not shocking to me that the stock market's going down literally two days after, you know, people are on Twitter saying Warren Buffett's an idiot, right? No, this is what Warren Buffett does. He has $90 billion, compounded gains for, for his 70 straight years. Get rich slow. It's like losing weight, Solomon. Get rich slow. You do it slow, you have a tendency to keep it. You yeah. do it first, you do it fast, you have a tendency to give it back. Exactly. And, you know, you know, you're right. You know, the people that are listening to this, if you, you know, you're being educated, you're doing it right. And let me tell you, you are 0.000% of our generation. <laughs> Listen, I, I tell the joke all the time. You know, the baby boomers learned how to save money, right? Yeah. When that didn't work, my generation learned how to use debt. Okay, and when I mean my generation, Generation X, we went into debt, 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 because it's like, well, my parents' generation, free, right? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't work any longer. So let's just go spend all our money, and then your generation is like, I have no hell, what I have no clue what the hell to do. So let's just money? Go <laughs> I don't have debt. spend all our money. <laughs> so it's just it's it's when I talk about my generation, I'm not talking about every single individual within a generation. We're talking yeah. about you know, 40 million Americans that are millennials or, yeah. or say, no, not 40, 60 million Americans that are millennials. So, you know, it, but it, it's also what I told my son. I said, Tanya, if you do embrace being an entrepreneur though, okay, it's going to be hard. It is. It's going to be hard. You're going to have moments in time. You have doubt, you question yourself. You're going to have sleepless nights. It's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. But just think about this. An entire generation that only knows how to do what? Work for other people. Well, they got to work for somebody. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of competition for that, which means I don't have to pay them very much money. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we met, I was the youngest person in the classroom, I think. You were. 
Yeah. So, you know, that, that tells you a lot about like the mentality, but I was actually having this conversation probably about five or six weeks ago with uh, one of my friends, like one of my oldest friends. And she was, she was asking me, she straight asked me, you know, I have X amount of money. What do I do with it? I want to, tra- I want to invest it in the stock market. Mm-hmm. I said, cool. First thing you should do is go educate yourself on how to do that. Yeah. You don't want to have to ask that question for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. Um, oh my God, Solomon, I, I cannot tell you how many emails, text messages, phone calls I've had from people that, you know, friends, family, nephews, um, you know, brothers, uh, community, uh, people I met 10 years ago, you know, extended family, you know, all of this college friends. I mean, you name it. What, what should I buy right now? What <laughs> Right. And I have a tendency to tell them to buy something that I think will go down because I want them to learn a very valuable lesson. <laughs> Don't ask a trader what exactly you should buy. They're not going to give you the, the, yeah. the that they're buying. I can promise yeah. you that because it's like, it, it's almost to the point of offensive to a certain extent. Yeah. I spent what now 15 years of my life learning how to do this, mastering this, sleeping, eating, breathing, how to do this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I, 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 countless hours. I, I can't tell you how many hours I've had in system development, data design, you name it, just back testing systems, all of that. Yeah. And yet I'm just supposed to tell you what to buy it. And so that you can criticize me when it goes down. No, <laughs> so, so, you come, so you can come and yell at me. <laughs> you know, I remember one time I had a, an extended relative call me up and this is back when uh, Tesla was trading like about $40 a share uh, oh. a few years back. And Tesla just suppressed a thousand dollars a share, by the way. But uh, he calls me up. He's like, hey, man. no, 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 no. They were at a, a dinner. And they're like, hey, Matt, well, I, I, I got some money coming in to me. And, uh, just give me a stock to buy. Just give me a stock to buy. And I was in a good mood. You know, maybe I had a couple glasses of wine. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, you know what? Um, buy Tesla. Buy right. Tesla. And they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And this is back when I was a early adopter of all things Elon Musk. I mean, I was one of the original fanboys. I loved yeah. Elon Musk. And I, I think he's a little crazy right now but I still love his entrepreneurial genius. I, he's just, sometimes you get the quirky with the genius, right? Yeah. And uh, I said, buy Tesla. And uh, I didn't know how much money he was bringing in. And um, I didn't know how much you know, shares he was going to buy. Ding, ding, the market's dead. But he went out and bought Tesla. A few years later, he bought a Tesla car. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told me that uh, a lot of that came from his uh, gains he had on the Tesla position that I recommended to him. And uh, he asked me what next he should buy, right? And I'm like, hmm, I didn't get a steak dinner. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I, I didn't get a thank you card. I didn't get I, a Tesla. Like, like, I, 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 I didn't get anything, right? And so I, uh, like, I had a stock I was pretty bearish on. I was like, all right, go buy this stock, right? And he ended up losing money. He's never asked me what to buy again. <laughs> Beneficial for all of us. <laughs> You don't, you don't want to spend your life constantly having to ask other people what they're doing because all you're, because think about it as a trader. If you're constantly have to get advice from somebody else on what they're buying, where do you think you rank in the order mechanism of that buying opportunity, right? I mean, think about that. I mean, stocks go up and down based on volume, right? You have increasing demand, stock goes up. You have decreasing demand, increasing supply, stock comes down. It's a free market. And if you are getting advice from, second hand, third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand, what order, uh, where do you rank in that order? Yeah. You're the last to buy is who you are, which means you are the first one to lose money. 
is yeah. what you're doing. You're buying when everybody else like me is selling. You're selling when everybody like me is buying. Mm -hmm. For example, take the airlines right now. Uh, the airlines have had massive movements over the course of the last month. I mean, uh, most airlines like take JetBlue, Alaska, and they've all you know, doubled in price, and now they're all getting their, just handed to, it, handed to it. And I guarantee you, coming back to the Robinhood, they're holding the bag, they're upside down on margin, and they're capitulating, and they're scared because now they're losing money, and they're going to capitulate and get out. And Solomon, they're going to get out right when it, the, uh, the real traders come back in. Yeah. right we get out we come back in we get out we come back in timing is absolutely vital in in, in the financial world yeah. and when you're talking about this world the world of finance this is not your mom and pa market here solomon right yeah. this is not the 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 gms and the ge's and the fords and the uh, of the world right this when when i was learning how to trade five percent of the volume in the market was done by high frequency traders what that means is algorithms right algorithms would do the buying and selling and a lot uh, a lot of that five percent was wall street hedge funds and so on and so forth today solomon that number is over 90 percent over 90 percent of the volume is attributed to algorithms in the market so if you're the individual who who needs to go out and send a text message check twitter uh check facebook call up your buddy who you know you know used to trade back in the day and they're like yeah i'm looking at this or i'm looking at that or i'm looking at this or if you're the guy on robin hood or the gal on robin hood and you're going to the top 20 highest volume candidates on robin hood you're like wow a lot of people made a lot of money there yeah the only way to actually make money is to hit the sell button yeah. and by the time they're getting into the market it's already coming down Right. And you're seeing that happen literally today as we just, you know, heard the ding ding from Thinkorswim. We saw that today. Mm -hmm. Right. Timing is absolutely everything. And so what I would suggest for the people that just want always that next quick hot tip, realize two things. Where are you getting the hot tip from? That's number one. What, what incentive do they have to put out the hot tip? Are they front running? Are they trying to get something you to get you to buy something that they're trying to dump? In, in a pump and dump. Uh, so it's a question where that hot tip is coming from. That's number one. Number two, okay, number two is in, in a hot tip scenario, I mean, this is the biggest problem with hot tips. You don't know the position size of the trader you're getting the tip from. You don't know their money management system. You don't know what their trade management strategy is going to be. You don't know where their stop loss is going to be and how aggressively or conservatively they're going to adjust that stop loss. And quite frankly, the biggest, the two biggest things, you don't know how that fits within their portfolio, right? They might be adding to a position in an industry that they don't have you know, access to that they're looking at their, their portfolio and they're saying, well, I have enough tech companies. I have enough industrial companies. I, I, I'm seeing energy get a little hot. Maybe I need to go get some energy, right? Mm -hmm. You don't understand how that fits within their portfolio. And most, most importantly, Solomon, the number one thing you don't know is you don't know when they're going to sell. Mm -hmm. That's the mm -hmm. number one. And so it's, it's, it's what I always suggest to people that just want hot tip after hot tip is first of all, you want to get to the point from an educational perspective where you don't need hot tips, where you just analyze. That's yeah. number one. Number two is if you're ever going to get hot tips, I get hot tips, Solomon, you get hot tips. We all get hot tips. But yeah. if you're going to get tips, do your own research. Yeah. Make sure that fits your personal risk profile. 
because I'm willing to bet you and I have different risk profiles. Because I know for yeah. a fact, <laughs> when I was 30 years old, I, have a, I had a vastly different risk profile than I do at 42, right? I was very, very aggressive when I was your age. Very, very aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were, you were much younger than when I started trading, but when I was 27, 28, 29, 30 years old, man, man, oh man, I was aggressive. Uh, and I got kicked in the teeth because of it a few times. But the thing that you learn longer term as a trader who doesn't want to be a trader for the next two weeks, but wants to be a trader for the rest of their lives, what you learn is small gains over time compounded has the tendency to create wealth. Yeah. You should focus on that, not the short-term gratification. Yeah. And, you know, it's so important, the education, because, you know, don't be stingy with the education. No. You know, don't. You have to put the money in. You have to put the time in. But I feel like nobody wants that. Everyone just wants exactly that hot tip. They want to make their 300% and retire tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, it, it doesn't uh, work that way. It does it, not work that way. Solomon, but but it, when you look, I'm a data-driven analyst, right? Yeah. Data means everything to me. When you look at the people who have zero education, right? Great intention, but they have zero education. They just want to go out and get the next hot tip. But even when you look at the data, okay? And I have an online digital media company that teaches people how to trade and tackle trade, right? Yeah. I, I've seen this data in Udemy. I've seen it in LinkedIn. Everybody oh. there. Yeah, I mean, none of them take the time to do it. (laughs) Well, it's not only that, but even if they get that inch to be like, you know what, I want to go watch this video or this video series for whatever topic. I'm not just talking trading and real estate. I'm talking any topic. If you wanted to go learn how to cook a meal, for example, right, Mm -hmm. or fix this in your house, the percentage of people that start a video versus the percentage that end a video it is like 98% that don't finish it. Yeah. Like they have all the good intentions, right? So even the people that have the good intentions, they don't have to follow through. Yeah. They just, they immediately go back to, oh, this is boring. I just, just tell me what to trade again. Just tell me what to invest in. Just show me that property I need to buy and I'm going to go buy that property, yeah. whatever it is. No, that is why the rich are rich. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily because it's such an unfair system. Okay. Again, I'll be the first to point out the flaws within the economic system called, called uh, neo-capitalism. But it's not just an unfair system. It's the fact that the entrepreneurs, they're going to put their butt in that seat. They're going to put the work in. They're not going to give up simply because of short-term negativity or short-term volatility. And because of that, at the end of the day, they have more money, more wealth that they can pass down to, uh, generational, uh, to generations than other people. No, that's true. You have to, you have to be willing to sit down and be calm. You know, it's just most people don't want to do that. They just don't. No, it, like like Solomon, like I asked you earlier today. I'm like, how long do you want this uh, interview to go? And you're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We'll just go to until the conversation's over, right? Yeah. And uh, that's a, that's like a long form interview. Okay, and that's that's what I do on my podcast as well. I do long form interviews because I love getting in into into detail. I love getting into the depth. I don't need just five minutes, right? I have an attention span that lasts longer than that. Yeah. I want to, like, I love Joe Rogan's podcast because he get he has these two, three, four hours in depth, just mm-hmm. conversations, right? Just absolute yeah. conversations where you can really get into the psychology behind the concepts. Um, but, you know, I was reading a statistic that if you put a video that is longer than 45 seconds on, you know, Twitter, like people lose their attention span. It's like, come on, guys, there's a reason you have no money, right? 
like you don't always have to chase chase the squirrel down the hole. Okay, I mean, TikTok oh, is the number one app for a reason. Oh, I can't stand TikTok. <laughs> That's another trigger word. I, I had to ban my daughter from TikTok just the other day. She too many dances in and of itself. <laughs> she's she's doing too many dances or what? Oh, way too many just ran. I'm like, you don't want that on a public channel, honey. Like, I only got 15 followers. I'm like, I, I, that's not how social media works. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a conservative individual that's very protective over his kids. I have four, three of them are daughters. And quite frankly, I know, I know how I was when I was younger. I got to protect my daughters against uh, humanity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> humanity no, but, meaning men. I got to yeah. protect them against men. Yeah, that's true. But no, but it's true. You know, TikTok's number one because it's 15, 30 second, 60 second videos, and that's about that's about the extent the the extent of our attention span for most people. And, and quite frankly, Solomon, you know, if I just want to get a, a quick chuckle, yeah, I'm good with that. Yep. But if I'm trying to learn how to invest <laughs> in the markets, I probably need a little bit more in depth analysis than that. But you know what's interesting? Some of the best uh, channels on TikTok are some that talk about financial markets. You know, they talk about- what's I'm not downloading it. I'm not. <laughs> no, no, I'm not trying to sell it to you. I'm just saying- Stop taking me, my friend. You know, I'm on TikTok, so, you know, I, I see what's on there, you know, the yeah. things I follow. And, you know, it's some of those, and I'm like, wow, someone's going to look at this and they're going to say, after two or three of these videos, they're going to be like, I'm an economic genius. <laughs> I know what's happening in the Fed today. <laughs> I know inflation. <laughs> I, I, I drive myself on social media sometimes when, you know, it's, I've spent a lot of time studying the Fed, monetary policy, fiscal policy, economic analysis. I mean, you name it. I, I'm one of those rare people that actually enjoy reading economic books. I, and I'm talking, you know, uh, you know, on capital like Karl Marx and uh, the wealth of nations and economic principles by John Maynard Keynes and, you know, Milton Friedman and, you know, all of this jazz. I, I geek out on some of this stuff and uh, market cycles, what creates market cycles, fiscal policy, you know, all of that jazz, the evolution of economic philosophy uh, over the last 250 years or so. And uh, I sometimes have to, you know, take it. It's like I told my daughter, she was posting some stuff on TikTok. I'm like, no, 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 no. Before you hit send, you need to take a walk, think about it, and then make a decision after you've had some moment of time to think about it. I got to do the same thing on Twitter sometimes when I'm watching uh, armchair uh, economists out there just giving out whatever they think is going to happen. Uh, where I really got to hold my tongue is from the president. I got to, I got to, I really got to hold my tongue there because you know, I see the propaganda economically that he just puts out there. And I'm like, that's not accurate. Larry Kudlow, you know, Steve Mnuchin, they understand what's going on from an economic perspective, but they're just yeah. putting out just the rosy colored glass. They got the beer goggles on. You've had about 14 beers and it's one o'clock in the morning. Just go home and sleep it off. And they're like, yeah, but what about this dad? Let's just go. <laughs> so sometimes I got to take a step back and be like, that's just not how it works. But, you know, think about what you say on Twitter before you put it out there. No, nah, I follow. I love you on Twitter, man. Yeah. I, I, I hold back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and I, I can kind of see that sometimes in your tweets. You know, I see that because I know you, you know, from yeah. all those courses that we've taken. So I know how you think. I know how you talk. I'm like, all right, he, this is like the PG version of what he really wants to say. <laughs> I got him out. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's, you know, I mean, I understand it to a certain extent. I am a political individual. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I was kind of born and raised to care about politics. And, you know, I've voted in every election that I've ever been able to vote in. Um, you know, and, and uh, I'm not shy about my voting record. I voted for, you know, uh, my first presidential election, I voted for Bob Dole there, Solomon, 1996. Uh, and then I voted for George Bush in 2000. I voted for Bush in 2004. I was a twice uh, Obama guy in, in 2008 and 2012. Um, I do miss Obama and I voted for Hillary Clinton in, uh, in our last election. So I'm not shy about, about politics. Um, I'm a conservative individual from Utah. I was born and raised conservative. I'm a fiscal, I'm a fiscal conservative. Um, I'm a monetary conservative. I'm an economic conservative. I have a lot of uh, very liberal social, social views, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, as a business owner in a digital media company, they don't come to you to hear your opinion on politics. Yeah. That's, that's not why they come to you. Um, they're going to have their beliefs. I'm going to have my beliefs. And I hope at the end of the day, we can all have an honest conversation about the things we agree on and the things we disagree on. And I think that would be beneficial for humanity. But right now we're living in an environment where I don't think there's ever been a time where there was more animosity from a political per perspective, from the left to the right, from the Democrat to the Republican. So you gotta, you gotta try to be understanding of everybody's political viewpoint. You gotta be respectful of everybody's political viewpoint. And I've, I've tried to pride myself on listening to those individuals and, and hearing where they come from. Even if I do disagree, I can still learn in those environments yeah. why they have their beliefs the way they do, why they think the way they do, why they think this policy or that policy. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've had a tendency to try to be open-minded politically, yeah. you know, economically, but if you, if you go out there on social media and you just be like the radical left or the radical right, then what, what are you trying to accomplish there besides just stir hatred, right? We need, we, we need less hatred in our lives. We need more love in our lives. We need more compassion in our lives. We need more uh, respect for one another in our lives. And it's, it's unfortunate, but politics brings out the worst in social media. It truly does. It truly does. Just the absolute just bane of society. The trolls come out, no doubt about that. So I try at, at tackle trading, I try to be apolitical to, to the most most extent. Trading Justice, our podcast, we're we're a little bit more political on that one. But uh, you know, it's uh, we, I have my views, you have your views, and uh, as long as we continually talk to one another, try to understand one another, try to respect where one another comes from, our society is going to get better. Yeah. And talking about politics. Can you explain the Fed? Because, you know, one thing I've really learned a lot and, you know, I know saying, can you explain? The How long do you want? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, can you explain particle physics in 10 minutes? Yeah. Um, no <laughs> you know, something that I've really learned is that entrepreneurs, small business owners absolutely do not understand economics, do not understand the Fed, don't understand when, also, you know. It's also why they fell. Yeah. And when they come out and say, you know, we just printed out $2 trillion here's, here's the market. They, they don't understand what that really means for them. You know, they just say, okay, cool. I can open up tomorrow. So can you, well, can you kind of elaborate on that? I'll give you, I'll give you the, I'll give you the quick version. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, I don't know if there is a quick version. So <laughs> I don't know if I can do that, but no, like I said, we got, we got however long the, you need. The central bank, the central bank of the United States was created in 1913. Yeah. It is not the first central bank around the world. The central banks have been around. It, the central bank was really a European central banking model. Um, really kind of the Medici out of Florence, Italy back, you know, 600 years ago. Um, Thomas Jefferson, who in my opinion was 
one of the greatest Americans of all time. Um, also made the greatest trade of all time, bought the Louisiana Purchase for $10 million from France. I mean, talk about land value there, $10 million. Wow, good job, TJ. Yeah. Um, but Thomas Jefferson, who was the diplomat uh, to France at the time, uh, studied European financial systems, banking systems, and uh, he, he made the claim many, many years ago, obviously, that one of the biggest risks to a free society is the banking system. And he was specifically talking about central banks and the European central banking model. Um, we originally did not do a central bank. What a central bank does is they control the money flow within an economic system. And so historically, you can either have a central bank, which is not government owned, not government regulated. Uh, think about that as a privately owned banking cartel is what a central bank is. Or you can have the nation's treasury, you know, control the money supply. Well, for the first, for the, for the most part, we had two central bank experience, experiments in the 1800s, but for the most part, we were a treasury-driven, state-driven, you know, uh, monetary system up until about 1907. In 1907, we had a currency crisis uh, where basically we saw the death of the uh, death of currencies across the board and uh, massive economic upheaval. I mean, when you go through a death of a currency, it is the worst economic situation possible right? Because that's what every asset class is valued in. That's what savings are valued in. Um, so when that happened, we went through this massive economic upheaval. And there's a great book that was written many, many years ago called The Creature from Jekyll Island. And if you want to learn how the creation of the central bank happened, uh, definitely go ahead. I highly recommend that book. Once again, it's called The Creature from Jekyll Island, which, you know, you know, paints the picture of how we created the central bank. But in a nutshell, we created the central bank in 1913. Now, the central bank was created with five families who came together to form the centralized banking system. Now, these families, uh, you, you know full well, your listeners know full well, maybe not who they are, but you've heard the names. The Carnegies, the J.P. Morgans, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, and, and, and whatnot. And they came together off on an island off the coast of Georgia called Jekyll Island, and that's where the name of the book comes from. Well, the central bank was created to control what is known as monetary policy. So you have two types of policies that are very important to understand. The first one is monetary policy, and that is the policy, and I'll lay that out here in a second about the central bank. The second one is fiscal policy, and that's the government and what the government's spending their money on and so on and so forth. So think about Congress setting the government's budget, the president approving it. Monetary policy is established through the central bank. Throwing it out the window. Yeah, don't, yeah let's not talk about <laughs> that right now because there is no no budget in the market right now um, but so in 1913 we create the central bank now the central bank has a mandate and they have to live by this mandate okay and understanding this mandate creates what is known as the market cycle which is very very important for all businesses alike because this is the number one reason why markets and economics grow and why markets stagnate and come down and, and it's also referred to as the business cycle, market cycle. You know, they're basically referred to as the same thing. Mm -hmm. The mandate is number one, create an economic and monetary environment where small businesses are encouraged to borrow money to build their business, hire people, and thus maximize the labor department, right? Mm -hmm. Maximize the labor. If people want a job, here's a job, right? So that's mandate number one. Now, to create that mandate and to maximize that mandate, the central bank will lower interest rates to encourage those small businesses to borrow the money. 
because most business in America and around the world is not done on cold, hard cash. It's done on debt driven scenarios, right? You have to go into debt to build your business, you know, so on and so forth. And so when it comes to debt, you have two types of debts. You have good debt, you have bad debt. Now, there's, there's, there's some very important differences in that. And it goes back to paying down the debt. I am willing to borrow a 3% interest rates because I know I can show a return above 3% interest rates, which means it's a positive debt transaction. Yeah. But if the interest rate is 10%, that's much higher. That's much more difficult for me to show a return of borrowing at 10%. So what the Fed does to encourage people like myself and yourself and many of your listeners, I'm sure I'm certain is to encourage them to borrow money to build their business. Well, to do that, they lower the interest rate down. As they lower the interest rate down, all of us borrow more money. The increase in the money supply goes up. And what happens is it creates the rise of inflation. And so inflation is a direct valuation regarding the amount of money supply you have in an economic system versus the amount of goods and services you have in the economic system. Mm -hmm. And so as everybody, and inflation is not just cold hard cash, it's debt as well. So as everybody is borrowing more money, thus creating more opportunities, thus creating more cash in a society, that cost is passed down onto those consumers through increases in asset values. Just think about real estate for a second. Yep. It's easier, uh, 10 years ago, it was much easier to buy real estate property than it is today, right? But why is that the case? We have lower interest rates today than we did 10 years ago, right? Well, what's the difference? The difference is we've had 150% price appreciation in that environment, right? And so as money comes into the system, inflation goes up. Well, dual mandate number two is to control inflation because there is nothing worse economically than hyperinflation. And so the Fed has to control inflation. And so as asset prices go up, what the Fed has to do to discourage people from borrowing more money is they have to increase the interest rate gradually. And as they increase the interest rate, all of a sudden Solomon, you, myself, and many other people, we're like, oh, well, I can't, I, can't, I can't really afford to pay that type of interest. So I'm gonna curtail my debt spending. I'm gonna focus on what I currently have. And when the interest rates start coming down again, i.e. will start coming in and borrowing again. That's what creates this market cycle. It's really interest rate driven. Number one, when you look at the, just the last 20, 25 years, Solomon, but really since, since the dawn of the central bank, when you look at it just over the last couple of market cycles, why did dot-com top, top out? Why did subprime top out? Well, the reason those two markets topped out is because we went from a 2% interest rate in 1998 to a 6.5% interest rate in, in uh, 2000. That's what topped out the market. Now, when we're talking about the Fed and borrowing money, we don't borrow at 2%. We don't borrow at 6.5%. We borrow from local banks. So at 2% interest at the central bank, you might have 6% at, uh, for you borrowing. If it's 6% at the central bank, you might be borrowing at 12%. Well, we'll borrow at 5%. We'll borrow at 4%. You'll go get a car at 5% interest. We'll go buy a home at 3.5% interest. We're not buying a car at 12% interest. Yeah. We're just not. We're certainly not buying a 30-year mortgage at, at 8 right? <laughs> We're just not doing that. And so what happens is they start raising the interest rate. It sucks out the money supply. Markets have a tendency to come down in that environment. And then as the markets are coming down, 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 well, what does the Fed do? Well, they raised the interest rate to 6.5% in, in, in mid-2000. Well, by the bottom of the dot-com crisis, all of a sudden they went from 6.5% interest down to 
1% interest. And so as the market is coming down, 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 when the Fed lowers the interest rate to the point of encouraging all of us to go borrow more money, well, guess what we start doing? We go borrow more money. What do corporations do? Go borrow more money stock at a cheaper valuation. What do real estate companies do? They go borrow more money to expand their, their, their real estate holdings because now it's at a much, much, much cheaper interest rate. Same thing happened in subprime. Well, what happened in subprime 2005 through 2007? We go from that 1% interest rate we had at the low of 2002 and we go to a 5.5% interest rate in, uh, in uh, early 2007. Well, what does that do? Sucks out the money supply, corporate stop borrowing, and then all of a sudden markets have a tendency to come down in that environment. Well, again, market cycle comes down. Market S&P 500 goes down 57%. Real estate values are getting absolutely slaughtered. Well, what happens in that environment? The Fed goes to a zero interest rate environment, announces quantitative easing, the expansion of the balance sheet, and all of a sudden, markets miraculously have a tendency to go back up. So understanding the Fed, there's an old rule of thumb in the market, do not fight the Fed. Understand the Fed, doesn't mean you have to like them, Solomon. You know I don't like the Fed. I wanna ban the Fed. Yeah. audit the Fed and kill the Fed. So, so I don't like anything about the Fed. I don't think they represent the people. But at the end of the day, they're not your friend, but they can't be your enemy. Yeah. You have to fall, you have to understand the Fed and then put your money to work with what the Fed is doing. And so, and so, you know, understanding economics, understanding market cycles, understanding the central bank and the role in the market is so vitally, vitally important for both small business creation, corporations, the stock market, the real estate market, every single thing at this point in the market is always about the Fed. Exactly. And you know, why did the market recover, Solomon? It wasn't because there was 8 million new accounts at Robinhood. Why the market started recovering is because the Fed increased their balance sheet from 4.2 trillion to 7 trillion. And the United States government increased their US debt from 24 trillion to 26 trillion. When you have $5 trillion of new money coming into the system within such a short time frame, I promise you markets are going to respond in one direction. That's up, 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 up. Yeah. So the question that a lot of traders have right now, the question that a lot of real estate investors have right now is has, has the Fed overshot the moon here? Do they still have the ammunition to support anything that might come down us at the pipe? But once again, just brief, briefly understand the Fed. They control monetary policy, interest rates, and they have a dual mandate, right? Two is fiscal policy. Fiscal policy is done from a government perspective. Where do they put their money? The most important aspect of fiscal policy is when we go through situations that we've been going through in the last three months in this national, this worldwide pandemic, economy shutting down, what role do the Keynesian economists play here? And that is to stimulate the economy. And so understanding fiscal policy, understanding monetary policy can give you a leg up in where to put your money, when to put your money on the table, when to sit, when to sit on the sidelines. You know, okay. it is okay to sit on the sidelines and watch the fireworks sometimes, right? So, so where to put your money, what areas of the market to put your money in. Like for example, right now, I want to touch a bank with anybody's money, anybody's money, because how are they going to make money? How is a bank going to make money when we just today had uh, saw, oh man. Uh, a record low on the 30-year mortgage rate, a record low on 30-year mortgage rates. Uh, how's a bank going to make money when they have a zero interest rate policy? So understanding monetary policy, the central bank, the history of the central bank, and specifically Keynesian economics through fiscal policy helps you understand the market cycle 
and understanding the market cycle understands when you want to be aggressive versus when you want to be conservative as an as an investor. Yeah, and you know what? If you're listening to this, I'm a, I'm gonna plug you in right now, Matt, because you know, I'm you know I like sharing things that I'm passionate about. I like sharing things that are good that have helped me grow as not just an entrepreneur but as an individual. So if you're listening to this, if you're interested, you know, learning more about the economics, maybe educating yourself to trade so that you're not one of those Robinhood traders that in two weeks you're done with it and you're oh, deleting we'll the app. Robinhood traders how to be here forever. <laughs> you know, where, where can people find you, Matt? Where can people learn? Uh, a couple places. Number one, uh, tapandtrading.com. Uh, you know, we are a, a, a digital media education company specifically focused on the financial markets, uh, stocks, options, uh, currencies, commodities, uh, a little bit in the crypto space, but uh, more so from a traditional asset classes. And there are four of them, in my opinion, stock options, currencies, and commodities. And I would fit crypto. It's a debate. Crypto is in the, in the commodity versus the currency space. But uh, we are an education company that teaches people how to invest in the market, how to trade the markets, how to assess proper return versus risk, proper probability analysis, uh, technical analysis, fundamental analysis, behavioral analysis, uh, we have uh, webinars we do every every single day, uh, multiple times throughout the day. So uh, definitely uh, in, in tackle trading, we created for the masses, you know, mm -hmm. Solomon. I've heard a lot of education companies uh, in my time in this industry say, oh, yeah, we're here for the masses. But then they want you to spend thirty to $40,000. And I'm like, that's not the masses. The masses can't afford that for the most yeah. part. We created tackle trading for the masses. If you want to see what we're all about, you can get a 15-day free trial by emailing team at tackletrading.com or you can go get that right there on the tackle trading website and we'll take care of you over there. We also have our, for those of you who are new to the market, uh, we have our YouTube channel that uh, we do a lot of uh, free webinars, free videos on uh, to uh, introduce people to the market, help navigate the market. So definitely subscribe uh, to the Tackle Trading uh, YouTube channel. And then obviously we're on a podcast here and uh, we have our podcast called the Trading Justice Podcast as well that you can check out uh, there as well. And if you want to follow me on Twitter and, you know, try to try to understand uh, some of the angst in my tweets like Solomon does, you can hit me up on at MattJustice13. And I constantly get asked this question, Solomon, why the 1-3? It's after the greatest quarterback in the NFL history, Dan Marino. Boom. Mm. I thought, uh, what's his name was the best quarterback? There is no other greatest quarterback. So that's blasphemy. No, uh, was that from the Buccaneers? Is that Jameis Winston? How he just came out yesterday saying that he was Jameis Winston. You're uh, he's one of the out. best quarterbacks. You're out of here. You lost. <laughs> Listen, you were talking about hustle. You were getting you were getting some street cred on that. <laughs> Jameis Winston. Winston. Okay, you, you didn't hear him. You didn't hear him a couple of days ago. He came out well, saying that he was he considered himself uh, one of the top ten quarterbacks of all time. Oh, Jameis, you're so cute. <laughs> you're just so cute. You don't have a job. Right now, dude. Um, no, it, honestly, though, Dan Marino was was a childhood hero of mine. I grew up when his rookie year, but I would say Tom Brady. Tom Brady's probably the greatest quarterback of all time. Are you still a Dolphins fan? Oh, I will be a Dolphins fan. Hey, listen, I might quit on the Dolphins like when I get mad, but it's kind of like my marriage. You know, she's tried to divorce me like 48,000 times since she married me 20 years ago. I can't quit on the Dolphins. I just can't do it. I, I can't be the guy that quits on his team. I just can't do it. I'm never going to quit on tackle. I'm never going to quit on the Miami Dolphins because if I, the moment I quit on the Dolphins, you know what's going to happen, Solomon? They're going to win the Super Bowl and then I won't be able to celebrate because I'm going to just be filled with shame. Uh, so, how do you feel about that, the new quarterback? Tua? Yeah, Tua. 
Oh, oh, oh. I am, I, am a, I am a pig in shit here. I am so <laughs> happy. I, am, I think Tua is the savior of the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> uh, ask anybody that's known me. I'm a big NFL fan, big Miami Dolphin fan. I've been wanting to take for Tua for, two, for three years, ever since his freshman year when he took over the national championship game. I love it too. I just got to learn how to pronounce his name. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a country hick there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I'm a big fan of two. I, I love two. I can't wait to see him on the field. I got a Simone homie. I'll hook you guys up so he can coach you up on that. Yeah. I, I see. It's all about education. You're in Utah. Just go down to Utah state. No, no, no. Utah oh, State's football team. I'll, t- I'll go to Utah, Utah State, BYU. I mean, or BYU. My bad, BYU. Go down to BYU. Oh, it's, oh, it's BYU, awesome. Utah, they recruit in uh, the uh, uh, all over. Um, you know that, that the Samoa, Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, I mean, half their team is that. I mean, th- those boys can play. I mean, just. I mean, they look all like you. Like, <laughs> tough, mean. Don't mess with the automatic street cred. It's amazing. You know, I so I have you know playing football. You know, you have you get some on homies, you get tongue in homies, and I just want to clarify something. I am the size of a thirteen year old Samoan. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> there is the truth to that. I'm just saying you're a big <laughs> no. tough guy, though. I mean, you're not six eight, three hundred pounds, going to go you know, no. you know eat a little child for lunch. I'm not saying. <laughs> no. One of my one of my best friends from high school. He's Big old Samoan dude. Yeah. And I met his brother. His brother was like probably 15 at the time. And I was just like, why? Like, I was like, I was like 20. He was 15. I'm just looking up at him. I'm like, why? Uh, Like literally, that's all it is. I I remember when I was 18, I was a football guy. And uh, I I had a, uh, I I made the All-State team. And uh, a quick real story on on this topic. We went down to Australia to play in a Utah All-Star uh, versus you know other states that went down there and so on and so forth but I remember I was, I was from a small school right I was yeah. from a small school I was not used to those big old boys from uh, Salt Lake City and and uh, <laughs> uh, the upper end of Utah and all of a sudden there's all these Samoans and Tongans like six foot five 320 pounds and I'm like like a buck 70 you know wide receiver and I'm like oh my god they're gonna kill me like literally <laughs> kill me I'm sure every time they called a slant route, you're just like, no. Oh, I was change the play, change the play. Like I was the no fear guy. You are not gonna and and like they're calling a seven route, and I'm like, um, I accidentally ran it out. Like I I was not going into the middle. There was no. It it took my head off. You're like, oh, coach, my bad. I thought you said this play. Oh, you said six. Oh, my bad. Next time, next time, I got you. Next time, I got you. Next time. That seven goes into a 15 year old post, so you get behind. (laughs) Actors, but yeah. no, it's uh, there is there is that uh, there is that road to uh, BYU. There's no doubt about that. From there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So how you feel about cryptos, man? What's your position on cryptos? Because <sighs> I, you know, I hear a lot of people they love them. They say that the U.S. the world economy is going to be decentralized, and it's the only way to to really make sure you're safe in these next five to ten years, especially with what we're going through right now with the pandemic. And I just call BS on all that. <laughs> Um, it's such a complicated topic to me. Like, you know, there's so many different cryptos. I, I've had, I, I've been in and out on crypto over the years. Um, I, 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 the first time I, I was introduced to crypto was November, October, November, somewhere around that time frame of 2013. And 
you know, there was a news headline uh, that uh, a crypto exchange by the name of Mt. Gox, which used to be an exchange of Magic the Gathering cards, for if you if you believe that, mm -hmm. uh, got hacked and four hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin was stolen. And once that came into the news, I was already analyzing Bitcoin before then. But once that came into the news, Bitcoin, and again, don't quote me on this. I'm trying to just go from memory here. But Bitcoin went from like $1,200 a coin down to like $180 a coin, right? Yeah. And I just felt like I was interested in Bitcoin at the time. And I just felt like that was a massive overreaction. Because right? a lot of times you see this in the market. You see negative news come out. You see an initial just sell everything mentality. Yeah. And then you realize eh, it might have been an overreaction to, uh, to the situation. We've overcorrected to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And so I, I bought my first uh, crypto back in November of 13. And then I traded it in and out and, and whatnot. Uh, by the time of the mid 17, I was completely out. And, mm -hmm. and this is this is just kind of some of my flaws to a certain extent. Once I see consumer society fully embrace something um, and, and, and specifically from a get rich quick mechanism, you know, we're going to be millionaires in a day type philosophy. I, I'm just out. I, I'm, I'm out of that because I know it's going to be crazy volatile in those environments. And so I, I was completely out of the crypto space, Ethereum, Litecoin, Ripple, you know, Bitcoin, all I, I was done. You know, Tim, my brother, my partner, he stuck with Bitcoin, but I, I was completely out. The one question I have, because I'm, I am interested in Bitcoin, um, I'm not in interested in any of the other coins, and they are not inflationary protection, they are pure speculation, pure, yeah. pure, pure spe speculation. The original design of Bitcoin, though, was that it was supposed to be a decentralized uh, a monet, uh, monetary currency that did not have a central bank associated to it. It was the people's money to a certain extent. The algorithm that was created was supposed to end at some point to where you couldn't create a hyperinflationary environment because there was going to be limited supply to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But the evolution of the crypto market has been fascinating to go against a lot of those original designs of decentralization, uh, no inflation. We've had multiple forks and multiple splits with uh, with, with the crypto space. Well, Bitcoin um, just split a few weeks ago. Yeah, they just, it was like a month ago, right? Yeah. They just did a two to one. So yeah. um, they're 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 trying to create as this happens as they start getting more demand. They try to you know create more coins to satisfy that demand. Yeah. And so I think some of the original designs in the crypto space are no longer viable. And I get a little frustrated when I hear those arguments in 2020, when those arguments have really kind of been blown out of the water in the last three to four years. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in anything in the crypto space outside of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I am getting more interested in Bitcoin, especially as we've seen more data recently that it's been you know, a, a little bit of a safe haven in those crypto space, the same way gold is in the commodity space and the same way the dollar is in the currency space. So I'm more interested in Bitcoin at this point from more from an investing perspective. Trading Bitcoin seems just insane. Like, why would you do that? Massive margins, uh, random volatility, very <laughs> driven. Um, you know, it can move up or down 20% in a day and nobody would be shocked. You can get much better return for risk and probability analysis in the stock and the options in the commodity market than you can in the crypto space. So, mm -hmm. so in, in my opinion, I, I, I wouldn't look to trade Bitcoin, 
But if Bitcoin continues to evolve to act like a safe haven, I do think it would be on my watch list of things in the future. But as of right now, no, I have zero interest in that. I'm, I'm too involved in options and commodity trading at this point. You know, that's the thing about being a trader, though. There is so many things to trade. There are so many things to invest in. Thousands upon thousands of stocks, multiple different currencies, all those different commodities, tons of crypto. You know, there's so many things to invest and trade in. You don't have to do it all. Yeah. Master who you are. You don't have to be the jack of all trades. Master who you are from a system perspective. Yeah. And yeah, this, you know, I think a lot of time when people think about investing and, you know, I was, this is something with like the, the retail traders, right? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people go into Robinhood because they want to feel grown up and investors. And, you know, that's kind of the same thing. It's like they want to invest in everything. They want to be real estate moguls. They want to be Warren Buffetts. They want to be in the futures markets. They want to be. They want, they, they want to have their greedy little fingers in everything. So just in case something works out, they're a part of it. But yeah. just going back to Warren Buffett and Warren Buffett's one of my, just, he should be an idol of everybody from an investing perspective. He didn't start out buying all these different stocks and all these different real estate properties and all these different businesses. He started out buying one stock and then he, and then he expanded that master one thing and then built right master one thing and then built. Um, you know, I quit, uh, for example, I quit real estate when I was 27 years old after this next market cycle, I'm most likely going to get back into real estate because I got the other thing unlocked. Yeah. Right. And so, and so be the master of something and then expand that portfolio don't don't you know like buffett said many 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 years ago don't don't diversify diversification is a loser's mentality yeah. focus specialize right because what and what and don't get me wrong buffett believes in diversification the same way i do but he was talking about that the, the traditional version of diversification by buying mutual funds is what he was talking about yeah. but that's not diversification when you buy xle for example which is the energy sector that's not diversified they all move in line with one another right? Mutual funds are not diversification. ETFs are not diversification. He was talking about focus, yeah. focus on that company, focus on why you want to own for, for him, Coca-Cola, right? Yeah. And he said, uh, one of his first investments out there, and this is what I tell all new investors and new traders is when they ask me, well, what should I buy? What should I buy? I always ask them a question. What do you like? Yeah. Right? Start with value investing. Mm -hmm. What do you like? That's what Warren Buffett's mentor asked him in 1952. Okay. What do you like? And he liked Coke. He liked drinking a can of Coke. He enjoyed the taste. And at 90 years old, he still drinks a can of Coke every day. And he still pays for exact change at McDonald's and he still lives in the house he grew up in. You don't have to show it. Be it. Right? Be it. Too many, too many people, my generation and yours, they want to show the bling, 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 bling like they have that hustle. No, you don't. You're showing it. Yeah. Don't show it. Don't tell it. Do it. Yeah. Right? Become that. Focus. Focus intently with the desire of a thousand, a thousand sons. Yeah. Focus. Don't let anything stop you. Master something and then build on that. You don't start building a house by putting on the damn trusses. Build that solid foundation and then expand on it. It's, yeah. the, it's, it's the same thing in absolutely everything. It's the same thing. Education, preparation, application. Yeah. Too many people put application before the first two. Yeah, that's exactly, you know, I tell, I tell my team the exact same thing, you know, because I'm a network marketing uh, entrepreneur. That's where we started off. That's where we made our capital. 
to be able to invest because at the end of the day, you know, I see network marketing as an amazing opportunity to create capital, to go invest and do things that you want to do. Right. So, you know, I tell my team the same thing. You know, I say, focus on this, you know, give this four, five years of intense focus, and then you can go do whatever you want. Well, speaking of network marketing, you know, I'm not a network marketer guy, but I I am a, a supporter of it. Right. Because I choose my area. I think network marketing is an absolute wonderful way for individuals to get into small business and that mindset of an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. But why is it why is it that we see, you know, 5% of network marketers make it? Why and why do you see the same statistics in business? Why do you see the same statistics in trading? Why do you it's see hard. the same statistics <laughs> in real estate? Because it, it's it's not easy. Yeah. It's not. You know it's easy go to school, get a job, get fired. That's easy. You have no control in any capacity, right? right. But in terms of anyone, uh, any other area of that, when you are an entrepreneur in a small business, you have to have, number one, you got to bust your ass. Mm-hmm. You're working when other people are playing, right? You're, you're, you're sitting down, mapping out data when other people are at the bar, right? You're, you're putting aside that to bust your ass to become that entrepreneur. You work hard. And when you have volatility, when you have negativity, you don't stop because you have that hustle. I am, you have that vision of where you want to be 10 years from now, and you are going to do anything in your power to get to that moment in time. And you're going to, if you have to crawl through fire, crawl through fire. If you have to crawl through mud, crawl through mud. If you're going to have a, a million people tell you you can't, you be the one person to say, bullshit, go get it done. Go put the work in and make them, make them naysayers eat crow. You have that perspective. You have that vision. You have that hard work. You have that mentality. That is why the cream rises to the top is because they bust their ass they work their ass off they overcome negativity they don't let people tell them no they want they have that vision to where they want to see their family their life their community their society in the future and they're not going to let anybody stop them from doing that that's why people rise to the top in business in finance in real estate in network marketing it is not a magic pill it's not the magic eight ball it's not a lottery winner it is a very simple equation hard work plus application equals success done and done yep 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 <laughs> a thousand percent and you know I tried not to get on a soapbox there so no I, no i tried to keep it down <laughs> you know when i started off you know i was 2016 december i graduated you know uh, arizona state yeah you know literally the day i graduated i went straight back home the next day I was in training with my, you know, medical marketing mentor. I had no time. I was, you know, I, I already knew coming out of university, I was going to go to network marketing because that's what my mom was doing. Mm-hmm. She was making more money than I was going to make in a whole year and a month. And I'm like, all right, that, that math does not add up to me to go work my degree for what she's making in a month when she has no degree. No. And so, you know, I went straight to it. And one of the things that I found, you know, trying to share that with my friends. That's why I lost them all. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You, you lose um, them all. You'll, get, you'll get new and better friends, I promise you. Oh, I have new and better friends. Yeah, but, better you know, for the people that are starting off, you know, that's such a difficult thing to do, you know, to accept to lose those people that, you know, were your family, you know, your safe space. And, you know, it's, it's difficult, but you have to go through it. You have to just say, you know, I know what I want and they don't want that. So that's cool, you know. Like I say, you know, everyone can eat. They just can't eat at my table. 
You know, it's it's true though. I, I love my friends from back in the day. Yeah. I love them. I love them dearly. Um, when I see them, we chit chat. We tell stories of back in the day. You remember this time? You remember that? Like, it's always do remember this moment in time. <laughs> we acted really stupid, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't talk to them about business, and I don't talk to them about economics, and I don't talk to them about finance. I don't talk to them about investing or trading, um, because every time I've ever done it, it always revolves around. Well, can you tell me what to do? Yeah, yeah I can tell you to go do what I did. I put myself through uh, education. I put myself through years and years and years of data-driven analysis. Um, if you understood, if you walked in these shoes, you would have a different perspective, right? Um, but you know, the, the last thing, and I know we're kind of summarizing here, Solomon, but the last thing I'll say is this. If you haven't read the book, Think and Grow Rich, please go out and read that great book by Napoleon Hill. Yep. And <clears throat> any, any mindset book that you've ever heard about, in the last hundred years, Solomon, has been influenced by Think and Grow Rich. <clears throat> the seven steps to this success, the three steps to this, the five steps to that, right? Uh, it all comes back to what Napoleon Hill talked about in Think and Grow Rich. Andrew Carnegie in 1917 tasked Napoleon Hill with finding the recipe for what success was, yeah. right? And Andrew Carnegie was one of the most successful business owners of all time, the richest man in the world at that moment in time. And Napoleon Hill for the next 20 years, and I believe he published the book in 1937, but went out and he interviewed all these successful business people from different industries, different walks of life, different ways from life. Yeah. And he came up with 13 rules that create a successful individual, right? And he was talking, no, he, he wasn't talking like friendship, marriage. He was talking business, yeah. right? And there's many, there's some of them that are a little old, like that wouldn't work in today's environment. Like you got to have a good woman by your side, right? Well, we don't say that any longer, right? So there are some that are dated, okay? But this was 1917 through 1937. Um, but the last one is very important. What ultimately led to these individuals crowning success, regardless of the industry, when they all said the same thing, Right before their greatest success was their biggest failure. Failure and learning from failure led to success. Too many people in society today are worried about falling down, scraping their knee, getting hurt, losing money, worrying about what their friends think about them, worrying about what their parents think about them. I love my parents. I don't want their life. I got to live mine, right? I got to raise my kids. They're too worried about what people on Twitter will think, Facebook will think, Instagram, my God, TikTok and Snapchat and you know all of that. They're, they're, they're too worried about that. Yeah. Visualize where you want to be and do anything you can to get to that moment in time. Mm -hmm. Because I promise you, if you become that success, all of these naysayers that looked at you and hated on you at the moment in time, they're going to be on your coattails oh, yeah. and they're going to work for you. And they're going to be very thankful that you paid them a nice little uh, wage or a nice little income or a nice little salary so that they can have your two-car garage and white picket fence and so on and so forth. But you own the world. Focus on that. Where do you want to be in 10 years from now? And put the steps in place that you need to do to achieve that and let nothing stop you. Yeah. As, you know, that's a very important point that you talked about, you know, how some of the rules are dated, but, you know, so many people get hung up on that shit. They get, they get hung up on the, the negative things, the stuff that doesn't fit for them. 
you know, everything, you know, everything I've read, you know, I listen to people that I don't, you know, I don't personally believe in their beliefs. I don't, you know, they might have some political beliefs that I'm just like, how do you think like that? That, but, yeah, that's crazy. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they have some good knowledge. And, you know, mm-hmm. something, uh, I think Bruce, Bruce Lee said it, you know, uh, research your own experience, absorb what's useful, reject what is useless, and add what's essentially yours. And, you know, I've applied that to every time I read a book, you know, I, I take what I can use, I leave whatever I don't need or whatever I can't use, what doesn't apply to my life. And I think that's what a lot of people need to do. You know, you got to get out of your own head. You got to get out of your own personal beliefs and accept that people can help you, whether they don't have the same beliefs as you, whether they don't have, you know, the same vision of the future for you, but you can learn something from them. How you say Yeah. You didn't have the same belief when you were 20 that you do today. Exactly. I didn't have the same belief when I was 30 that I do at 42, mm-hmm. right? Life changes, life happens. We evolve. And even with people, whether it's economically, politically, or investing, even with people you have staunch disagreements with, if you listen, you can learn, right? Even if at the end of the day, you shake hands and agree to disagree, you can still learn. You know, I I had a law school professor just beat it into me one time, Matt, you, you like, I was always the, I was, I was a litigator. I was the guy that gave up and gave impassioned speeches. Like I was Tom Cruise in a a few good man type scenario, Uh right? you can't handle the truth. I was that guy. I was the litigator, right? And I remember a law school professor saying, Matt, you you got all the arguments. You're passionate up there, but you don't understand your opponent's argument. How are you going to win? You got to understand people. You got to understand where they come from, what drives them, why they believe the way they do. You know, it, it could be politically, it could be economically, it could be they got fired from the job or they saw their dad get fired, laid off from the, from, from, you know, this union job. There, there's something that has impacted them. And if we do more listening and more understanding, we can get better as a society. But, you know, I, I, I see so many people making excuses today. I see so many people saying, well, the system's rigged against us. You know what? Every system has been rigged against Main Street America and Main Street Italy and Main Street Rome and Main Street. Mm-hmm. The systems have been rigged since the birth of mankind. Yes. The, 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 those in power rig the system. So you can bitch, moan, and go cry to mom, but nobody gives a shit. Nobody do, do something about it. Mm-hmm. The system's rigged. That's what, what do you think entrepreneurs do? Entrepreneurs stand up in the face of that and say, yes, the system's rigged. Let's go fix it, mm-hmm. right? Let, let's not go cry it in our spilled milk. Let's go do something about it. So let's go out and do it, right? As a collective, as a society, let's go understand more. Let's listen more. But let's also go do more now, too. Yep, exactly. All right, man. As we start wrapping up, <clears throat> for, for people that are starting off, people that have businesses, you know, it's been a very rough three months for a lot of people. Uh, what's something that you could instill in us a little, little, you know, a little wisdom from your experience? It's always the worst when you're going through it. Mm. It always is. You know, I, I, I remember 08 and the subprime meltdown. Um, it was a nasty, nasty time. I mean, it, it wasn't like we're going through right now. It was more economically driven than it was, you know, uh, I mean, we're going through a pandemic, right? Yeah. Um, but it always feels like it's the worst moment in time. It always does. And, you know, it's sometimes in those moments of strife and negativity and panic and chaos and, you know, uh, and quite frankly, uncertainty. Yep. And, and I don't remember a time we were going through more uncertainty 
than we're going through right now. Not dot-com, not subprime, nothing. I, there's never been a time we've had more uncertainty. Mm. But it's in these moments in times that greatness is made, that greatness is made, that, that wealth is made. It's mm. the people that take action in these moments in time and come out, of, uh, come out behind it, in front of it, that they have that success long-term. And so the one thing I would suggest is, honestly, be conservative in this environment. Be conservative. It's okay to sit back a, a little bit from an investor and say, let me, let me get a lay of the land a little bit. But don't give up and don't give in to the, in the face of what we're going through. Because I do believe this, Solomon, and I said this on our Tackle Trading Halftime Report today. Coming out of this, I think we're going to have a generational shift in wealth, right? <clears throat> I do believe the rich will get richer, yeah. okay? I do believe the poor will get poorer. And as a famous man once said, I've been rich and I've been poor and I prefer being rich. Yeah. So come out of this. Don't get so caught up in this one particular moment in time, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? Mm. The fear of missing out. Don't get caught up in this one moment in time that you lose perspective on who you want to be long-term. Yeah. Always put the future in front of the now. Always prepare for it, plan for it, map out those uncertainties, keep moving forward, but always think about where you want to be at 2030 and not where you currently are at 2020. Build the roadmap, execute that plan. That's number one. Number two, uh, number two, none of us know where the economy is going to be in six months from now. Yeah. These projections are completely all over the board, completely all over the board. But as an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There's going to be businesses that thrive in this environment. And, and you know what, Solomon, one of the saddest things I'm seeing right now economically is, is just the absolute death of, of small businesses out there in America. Just the absolute death of them. I mean, you're going to see a record number of small businesses just get absolutely butchered. But you know what? There's going to be needed more entrepreneurs like you and I to come in and replace that. Whenever a company creates a void, an entrepreneur fills that void. See this as a moment of opportunity. See this as a moment of learning, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when I was going through the subprime market, I was so excited to make a ton of money on that down, downward spiral of the market. I was a new trader, didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of experience. But you know what? Time has a tendency to pass. And now I'm very, very prepared for this next cycle, yep. right? So don't put the cart before the horse. Focus on the future. And don't let anything stop you from achieving what you need to achieve. Thank you so much, Matt. And please, for, uh, if you're listening, go follow Matt on Twitter, on Instagram, TackleTrading.com, MattJustice13 on Twitter. And if you're really interested about learning you know, about the financial markets, if you want to be a more successful investor, please check out his site, TackleTrading.com. You will become a more educated entrepreneur. And thank you again. Matt for sharing your knowledge with us. I hope to have you on the show again one, you know, soon. And this has been another episode of Retired 25. I'm your host, Solomon Royball. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and we'll see you in the next show. See you. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I, and I hope your listeners uh, uh, get something out of this. And uh, I, I would be more than happy to come on again to discuss anything you'd like. I, like I said, I like talking about this stuff. Yeah, we'll talk about 2007 next time. Done. <laughs> Done. <laughs>